0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden and natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. We're back in Florida today with my guest, Kenny Coogan. Kenny is the author of the soon to be released book, Florida's Carnivorous Plants, Understanding, Identifying and Cultivating the State's Native Species. He's also the Education Director of the International Carnivorous Plant Society and also sells carnivorous plants at some of Florida's various markets, as well as occasionally online. Now, I have a fairly basic understanding of carnivorous plants and how they work, but Kenny and his book take it to another level, bringing that knowledge straight to the beginning grower, but also making it interesting enough for those who may already be growing or familiar with some of North America's or Florida's carnivorous plant species. While we talk about the book itself, we branch out into other species that can be found worldwide, as well as talk about the International Carnivorous Plant Society, the upcoming World Carnivorous Plant Day, and its associated photo contest. There's a lot packed into the episode and you'll have to be sure to check out the show notes for the episode for a discount code on your pre-order of Kenny's book, as well as where to submit your own photos for the World Carnivorous Plant Day photo contest. All right, on to the episode with Kenny. Well, thank you, Kenny, for, uh, well, A, reaching out to me to come on the podcast and to let me know that you were writing a book to begin with, but maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit of who you are and your background and how you became interested in carnivorous plants. Sure. My name is
1: Kenny Coogan. I'm the education director for the International Carnivorous Plant Society. And I was a middle school agriculture teacher for about eight years. And then during the pandemic, my carnivorous plant uh, hobby (laughs) turned into a business. And everybody wanted green things and people who were stuck at home wanted carnivorous plants in their house. So my business expanded, and I was able to retire 25 years early from teaching <laughs> and move into the carnivorous plant nursery business. So now carnivorous plants are all all I think about.
0: Right. Well, I think that goes back to when you were a kid, I, from what I've seen on your website, uh, that love began when you were younger. And do you, do you like growing other plants or has it just always been carnivorous plants for you? you? I really like to focus on carnivorous plants. And
1: I did write the book, Florida's Carnivorous Plants. And so I am in Florida and Florida has a perfect climate for growing fruit and vegetables. So those are the two things I like to focus on edibles and then carnivorous. plants.
0: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So, I mean, I think People in gardening probably are familiar, or at least have heard the term carnivorous plants. They probably obviously, you know, would know about a Venus flytrap. But I mean, what makes a carnivorous plant a carnivorous plant? What sets them apart from regular plants? So the interesting thing about that question
1: is that it depends on who you ask and if it meets their own goals. So scientists <laughs> kind of waver in their definition, but generally speaking, We say that a carnivorous plant has to be able to capture and kill its food, it has to be able to digest its food, and it has to be able to benefit from the nutrients that it digested. And just like humans, we rely on a lot of uh, bacteria in our gut and symbiosis to break down our food. So carnivorous plants can do that, or they can make their own digestive enzymes, and the way that they capture is through lots of different trapping mechanisms. Some of them have snap traps, like you mentioned, the Venus flytrap. Others are sticky. Some of them work like a vacuum where they suck up prey and things around the prey, and then they spit out the extra water. Um, Some of them have these really advanced traps, like a lobster pot trap, where they have a tiny opening, and then it opens up. So once the organism gets inside, they get confused, and they can't find their way out. So the cool thing about carnivorous, one of the most interesting things that I think about carnivorous plants is that they are not closely related. They've evolved at least eight different times, Hmm. and they've all kind of answered the same question of, if nutrients aren't in the environment, how will I be able to grow? Hmm. And and the ones that were able to answer that question lived and pass on
0: those traits to their offspring. Right, right. Now, I find that fascinating how genetically diverse they are and that they all still (laughs) do the similar things. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Some of their
1: enzymes are found, the enzymes that they break down their food with are found in non-carnivorous plants, but the non-carnivorous plants are using it more like a defense from bugs nibbling on them where carnivorous plants kind of taken it to the next level where they're doing it for,
0: offense trying to get nitrogen so some of the species do they do they eat only certain insects or or prey perhaps or are they generalist do they it doesn't matter whatever comes their way is is doomed yeah most of them are generalist if it can
1: fit in the trap they're happy for venus fly traps they have those long uh, teeth protrusions called cilia and if an organism is pretty small, the plant, I know the plant cannot think, but it allows, the plant, or it allows the prey to escape if it's too small, because it doesn't really want to waste its energy. So when people have Venus fly traps and they try to hand feed them, we recommend finding something that's one third to two thirds the size of the trap, because something smaller isn't really worth the
0: plant's time or effort. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. So when, I mean, these plants photosynthesize as well. So what is the, I mean, they're just basically getting the nutrients because they're living in low nutrient environments. And so it's just extra nutrients that they're getting from these prey, right?
1: Yeah. So almost every weekend I'm at a different plant sale or a plant show and uh, several people, every show say, oh, I can't have a carnivorous plant because I don't have any bugs in my house. <laughs> or I don't have any insects, you know, in my backyard. And I tell them that, like you just said, all the plants photosynthesize. So that's where they're getting their energy from. And they just grow a little faster, a little more robust when they have those extra nutrients from the insects.
0: Okay. And how often are they eating these insects? It's something I don't know is, you know, is it once a week, once a month, daily? So, when I have, when I'm growing
1: bananas, for instance, and one of them gets rotted on the tree, I can take a flat of, you know, 18, 20 sundews and just kind of waft them near the bananas, (laughs) and they will be completely covered in fruit flies and fungus gnats and little creatures, Mm -hmm. and that's like, that's a really big boost. The Asian pitcher plants, the Nepenthes, they are often seen in my backyard in the summer when there's a lot of ants, there's just this big, long trail of ants falling into the trap over and over repeatedly. (laughs) So they eat a lot, you know, during some months in Florida, and then they can kind of hold those nutrients over until they need them.
0: Okay. Okay. That's very interesting and fascinating.
1: Um... For Venus fly traps, any trap that is open. Can is receptive and can be fed. If you're going to hand feed a Venus fly trap, it's best to just put a bug in one of the traps. And the fly traps take four to 10 days to digest. After they do that, they'll open up again, and what's left is the exoskeleton. Hmm. And then rain, wind, or another animal will kind of brush it out, and then that trap can eat again. And if you want to hand feed them, it's best to keep feeding the same trap. And then the rest of the plant is going to grow and get robust and look great. And the, for a Venus flytrap, each trap can only open and close about three or four times. And then it dies and turns black. Oh, So it, it's best to like just focus on one part of the plant and then the rest of the plant benefits.
0: Okay. So you have a nice looking plant instead of killing off all of your traps. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and a
1: lot of people also get nervous that like, oh no, it only can eat three times. But that's each leaf. And an adult flytrap can have maybe like five to 20 traps. Right. So that's a lot of meals. And of course, they're growing new leaves in the center during the growing season.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, since we're talking about growing them at home as a home grower, we'll skip down and talk about that a little bit. Like what are, if somebody buys a Venus flytrap, I mean, you mentioned the pandemic people wanting to grow things what kind of requirements you know if you want to grow a couple nepenthes or you've got a couple uh, venus flytraps, what what do you need to grow at home the
1: generally speaking because there's around a thousand carnivorous plant species generally speaking the common stuff in cultivation like venus flytraps, the north american pitcher plant saracenia and a lot of the sundews, those three groups of plants, like a lot of sun. So a flytrap and a North American pitcher plant, they can be, they should be outside in full sun, which means like at least six hours of no shade, full sun. The more the better, eight or 10 hours is even better. And all carnivorous plants do best with pure water, which means rainwater or distilled water or reverse osmosis water. And if you want to be technical, they need 50 parts per million or less of total dissolved solids. So my city water here in Tampa has almost 400 parts per million of total dissolved solids. So that means there's minerals, salts, chlorine, fluoride, things in the water, and carnivorous plants cannot handle that. So what I do is I have a metal roof, and I have six 50-gallon rain barrels, and I Collect the rainwater, and when I measure that, it's around zero to 10, which is definitely safe for carnivorous plants. And carnivorous, the ones that I was just talking about, the fly traps, North American pitcher plants, and sundews, they also want to be more wet or more moist than a typical house plant because these are bog plants. Yeah. So they want their soil always to be wet. I tell people never let their soil dry out in the growing season. And they like to sit in a quarter to an eighth of an inch of water all the time. For the tropical pitcher plants, the Nepenthes, which turn into six to 15 foot long vines, they like bright indirect light, like an orchid. And I water them really heavy. And then right before they're really light, the soil is really light and dries out, I heavy water them again. But they also do best with pure water.
0: Yeah, we used, to, we used to grow some of those when I lived in Florida as well. And I'm just trying to remember when you mentioned the types of water. And I was like, I don't think we did any special water. I know my husband did some RO water for his aquarium at that time. So he may have also watered with some of that water at the time. But I'm pretty sure we just used regular city water. And they seem to do pretty okay, but I'm sure not as good as they would have done if we were giving them the right water. Yeah, so for the Nepenthes, the... Asian pitcher plants, the
1: tropical pitcher plants, they can handle a little uh, more contaminated water, because they're not sitting in water. And every time, you know, there's a heavy rainstorm, it's rinsing out the the contaminants that are building up in the soil. But it's still best to, if you're using city water or well water, it's best to repot them, give them fresh soil every year or so,
0: or give them like a really thorough rinse okay now you know how you mentioned there's a thousand a thousand genera or species of um of carnivorous plants now how available are some of these in the trade nepenthes you know i see frequently and there's uh definitely some pitcher plants out there as well um and definitely you know obviously venus flytraps, but uh you know how, how much are they usually running <laughs> cost wise for some, from some of these? And then how often are you able to find them?
1: Yeah. So there's about 20 genera and then there's a thousand species
0: okay, total. Okay. total.
1: Okay. And for Venus fly there's only one species. So you can't hybridize a Venus fly trap because there's only one in that uh, genera. But what people have done is they've created dozens and dozens and dozens maybe more than a hundred now of different cultivars. So if somebody finds a Venus flytrap that's a little bit more red than the typical one or that's a little bit larger, they'll take that and they'll breed that. So now instead of just the typical Venus flytrap, that might only be you know three quarters of an inch their trap. Now we have ones that are like mutated and they're like melted looking and they're bright red or purple or they're variegated. Or they have like fused teeth or sawtooth, so lots of There's lots of different Venus flytraps available. All of them need the same care. There's around 120 species of Nepenthes, and while not all of them are available, people have hybridized those to make uh, plants that are suitable for a wide range of growing conditions, like inside, outside lows of 40 degrees, highs of 100 degrees. So there's a lot of people really interested in nepenthes and fly traps. People are starting to catch up or get more involved into the sundews and the Mexican pinguiculas, which are the butterworts. Um, there's a couple of bromeliads that are carnivorous. And while they're, well, they're not that uh, readily available, they are in the trade and people are propagating them
0: okay now are people um you know you mentioned all the hybrids do people get into a collector mentality like i need to collect all the this this type of 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 uh yeah yeah you know what i mean (laughs) people who get in a collector mentality yeah
1: (laughs) so i would say that kind of after you after people get a couple of the basic things like uh sundew from south africa which is considered like the beginner carnivorous plant just capensis and maybe one or two venus fly there's and people start seeing these beautiful carnivorous plants on instagram and social media there's a little bit of a collector man- mentality um i don't know if it's as strong as the aeroid and the philodendron people mm-hmm. but uh carnivorous plant growers are
0: also equally passionate about their plants. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, I mean, you grow a variety of carnivorous plants. Like, How did you get interested in, um, in wanting to write a book about the Florida species? And how did that come about? So
1: the reason why I wrote the book is I wrote a book that I wanted to have read 20 years ago. I wanted a book that was a gateway between a beginner grower and a budding naturalist because there's, um, there's not that many carnivorous plant books out there. Yeah. And when I approached the publisher, I wanted to actually write like a beginner's guide to all carnivorous plants, you know, how to grow them. Mm -hmm. And they said that, you know, maybe we should focus on Florida. And then I said, okay, that's a great idea because Florida has the most carnivorous plant species out of all of the states. And a lot of the ones that we have here in Florida are popular as, uh, you know, growing companions that Mm -hmm. people like to add to their uh, collections. And the reason why the publisher was really excited is because I've been writing for... Five or six different magazines for the past ten years about gardening and uh, raising animals like ducks and chickens and livestock and things like that. So I I do have a bit of a writing background.
0: Yeah, I delved into a little bit of your writing, and I was like, wow, you have a you definitely have a diverse array of things <laughs> you've done. <laughs> well, in my mind, I like to just think I'm I'm
1: writing about gardening and animals and like homesteading
0: yeah. is kind of my theme yeah i like it i like it well i you know i lived in florida for about eight years so i was familiar with many of florida's carnivorous plants but um not all of them uh, and i actually just happened to be in the panhandle a few weeks ago so i got to meet some others that i had never <laughs> seen before um uh, some pinguiculas and and i got to see the um the the uh, venus flytraps that are you know out there um and, and getting to see some of that but maybe highlight some of the carnivorous plants of florida and you know how you you mentioned that it was that the book was an intersection between education and um a naturalist uh aspect just talk a little bit about how it's set up for people sure so florida has six different genera
1: so like six different families uh well not exactly I'm using the term families loosely. So (laughs) six different genera of uh, carnivorous plants. And in the panhandle, we do have a lot, like the North American pitcher plants, the Saracenia and Pinguiculas and some Sundews. And then we also have that rogue population of Venus flytraps, like you mentioned. Venus flytraps are from a 60 kilometer radius of Wilmington, North Carolina. So in the entire world, that's the only place where Venus flytraps are found naturally, but about 40 to 50 years ago, people started spreading Venus flytrap seeds in the panhandle, and those populations still exist today. So we don't consider them invasive because they haven't really taken over. We can say that they're naturalized, but Venus flytraps are not native to Florida, but they are doing well. In addition to those groups, we also have the utricularia family, which are the bladder warts. And those are found throughout the state. A lot of them are also found in the south of the state compared to Saracenia, which kind of cuts off in the middle. And the bladder warts are the ones that we have. We have aquatic ones that are either free-floating or they'll hang on to the bottom of the, a pond or a, water, a body of water. And then they send up these really tall flower stalks out of the water that are beautiful. And then we also have some bladder warts that are terrestrial, where they like to live in swampy or mucky conditions. And you probably wouldn't know that they're there unless they're flowering. But then when they do flower, it's this huge field of either beautiful yellow or
0: pink or purple flowers. I think bladderworts are probably one of the underrated uh, carnivorous plants because most people aren't thinking about them or even knowing what they're looking at. I just, I like them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if a
1: lot of people would even know that they're carnivorous because their traps are either under the water or inside
0: the soil. Yeah, right, right. Um, oh, well, and you mentioned uh, bromeliads earlier in the Florida has. Um, yeah. the we one have one. That, yeah, yep. yeah at the
1: very tip of florida we have one of three known bromeliad species that are carnivorous and i think in the late 80s the first one was discovered to be a bromelia to be considered carnivorous and i can only imagine a lot more will We'll find
0: out in the near future are also carnivorous. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's all, so many of those tropical species, like, <laughs> we we think we know a lot and then yeah. come to find <laughs> out later, we don't know anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, so do you have any favorite native species uh, in, in Florida that you like?
1: It's, it's a little tricky to say that, but for today, <laughs> I'll say that I'm really into... Drosera filiformis and Drosera Yeah, and like Drosera filiformis is on my book cover. Drosera traceae, these are, these are like thread leaf, like they're in the, the thread leaf family. So they have these really delicate leaves that can be 12 to 18 inches tall. They're called sundews because they, they're dew, which is their glue, which is how they trap their bugs. Glistens in the sun. And uh, my personal collection of Drissera, Tracy. I are just waking up and it's the beginning of April now and they're they're actually a little behind schedule but they're just unfurling in the winter they die back into this little uh, winter resting bud called a hibernaculum so I basically just have they look like empty pots but then yeah. in the spring you have to you have to be patient in the spring you start unfurling and uncurling
0: So I'm, I'm really into those right now. Yeah. I got to see those for the first time a few weeks ago. And I, I think they're probably at at the top of my list as well right now, um, just because they're so unique and, um, I don't know, they're just, they're really cool. I, I enjoyed them. They kind of look like little octopus legs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were very interesting to see. Um, now in the book, I appreciated like how you broke down, you know, the growing habitats, how, like, and some of the cool bogs that pictures that you saw that you had pictures of, of how people were growing them out in, yeah. in their own little bogs. And, and, but I, you know, you have these great profiles of each of the plants and you kind of highlight, you know, their habitats. Is um, it, it taking you, what, two years to write the book or? I think
1: it took me maybe maybe only six months to write the book, mm-hmm. but the publishers have had it for a year and a half in addition to my six months oh, of writing it. Okay. And that was partly due to the pandemic and partly due to I had a vision for the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you got to negotiate with them how it looks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is my third book, but it's the first one that I've published with a publisher which has lots of benefits. It's going to be available, you know, everywhere. So the first two I hired, you know, private contracts, tractors mm-hmm. to do the layout and the designs. So it was a bit of a learning curve, but I'm really excited. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful full color photo book.
0: Well, I appreciated that. It's also, it's, you learn a lot, but it's also, you know, coffee table worthy, I think as well. It just, it's, it was really nice and it was approachable and it's not beyond a beginner getting into carnivorous plants. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a goal of mine. I was trying to think like, okay, after people have three carnivorous plants, what should they know to get, you know, to the next level? And even if they're not growing carnivorous plants, if they're walking around in a field, how would they figure out, you know, what type of carnivorous plant this
0: is? Right. Right, right. Well, so to, to move on a little bit, you mentioned earlier you are the director of education or communication. I can't remember what you said yeah, education. Education for the International Carnivorous Plant Society. Uh, so, what is International uh, Carnivorous Plant Society? I mean, in pre-pandemic days, did you guys get together and and have events, or is this yeah. mostly an online situation?
1: So, the International Carnivorous Plant Society has been around for a long time. Before the official society, there was a newsletter. And this, maybe this month, is the 50th anniversary of the newsletter. Wow. And this group consists of gardeners, conservationists, scientists, teachers, all interested in sharing knowledge about carnivorous plants. So they put out like the newsletter I was mentioning it comes out four times a year. It's a full, it's like a little magazine, you know, full color. Mm -hmm. And people say how they're growing things. Scientists publish new carnivorous plants in this book. And before the pandemic, they were having an international conference every other year. And it it truly is international. The the current president is in Australia and the vice president is in Oregon. And the conference. (laughs) location uh, rotates every other year. So it goes like North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia. So we go around the world for the past, I think three years, we've been trying to have our conference in Japan and it's been (laughs) being pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And it was supposed to happen next month, but because of COVID we still have to push it off another month. So in May of 2023, I will be going to Japan, and it's, it's it's been on my list. I think it's been four years now that we've been trying for these poor uh, Japanese people trying to you know get a conference ready. It's a lot of stress, and then we keep saying, or they you know they or we keep saying like, oh, we have to put it off another year.
0: Oh, yep, <laughs> so many people running into that right now. <laughs> so because
1: of COVID, and I've been the education director for about two years now in. Uh, January, this past January, I started hosting monthly happy hours and monthly webinars. So the happy hours, you have to be a member of the International Converse Plant Society. And once a month, I change the day of the week and the time, trying to accommodate as many people as I can, um, for an hour or sometimes two and a half hours. You (laughs) log on to Zoom with a beverage and a plant. And then you can go into a breakout room. So you can go into the flytrap room or you can go into the pitcher plant room. And you can just talk to people from all over the world who are growing you know, similar things. Or if you're not growing it, you can ask them how they you know, are successful. And it's just really positive, camaraderie. You learn a lot of stuff. And the fun thing that I'm finding is that when I do like an 8 or 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time happy hour, all of like the Philippine and the Australian people also join us, but it's their eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So they're drinking coffee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the webinars is um, about an hour. And then I'm asking professionals from around the world to talk about, you know, growing specific species or genera. The very first one I did was from, Damon Collinsworth, the owner of California Carnivores, which is the oldest and most well-known carnivorous plant nursery in the U.S., and he talked about common diseases and pests in carnivorous plants, because even though they eat bugs, sometimes
0: the bugs can get the upper hand. Right, right. Now, um, there's two things I was going to ask you. What kind of carnivorous plants, if any, are in Japan? they are a lot, okay, <laughs> okay. In,
1: including, um, a lot or several sundews that are really, that are very common and popular in, uh, cultivation. So there's one called Drosera banata, which is the forked sundew. Mm-hmm. And they're also, um, they're also found in the some other islands and in north uh, Australia but these plants they're petioles so like from like the middle to the trap can get up to 12 inches probably even bigger than that and oh, then wow. they have these really branched they kind of look like an elk horn okay type structure and huh. they eat a lot of fruit flies and fungus gnats okay cool and, and part of the conference is there's going to be at least one day but maybe multiple days of uh, field trips where you can see carnivorous plants you know growing in their
0: natural habitat right and the second question was the webinars and you mentioned the happy hours were for members only is the webinars for members only as well to attend
1: the webinar live you have to be a member But then I've been publishing them. So if you want to ask the expert questions, Mm -hmm. you should be a member and then you can attend to life. But then I publish it on the International Carnivorous Plant Society's Facebook page and YouTube channel about a week later. So you can watch all of
0: the archived videos. I was going to ask because I've been enjoying watching some native plant society videos on YouTube from their presentations. They've been doing the similar things that you've that you've doing during the pandemic. And so I was well, now I want to go watch these. So I will, I will check out their, the YouTube channel and uh, go learn more about some carnivorous plants. Something else that
1: is exciting for this year is at the end of April, I will be, I wrote five five-minute animated videos for the international carnivorous plant society which will be published on the youtube channel and facebook page and these are designed for beginners but they're good for anybody growing carnivorous plants and i talk about one video is about what is exactly a carnivorous plant another one is what are some good species for indoor growing another video is what are some species for outdoor growing another video is how to acclimate a plant because a lot of times people won't be able to find a local nursery, so they'll have to end up, if they want to add one to their collection, ordering it online. Mm-hmm. So we talk about how to get it used to your environment
0: so it doesn't go into shock. Right, right, right. Well, so the other aspect of the Plant Society is, is the World Carnivorous Plant Day, and that's coming up. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. What, what's the day? What Are, are there events involved? And, and what does it entail? Sure. So world on May 4th,
1: 2022, it will be the second annual world carnivorous plant day. World carnivorous plant day is the first Wednesday of May. We did it last year. And the reason why we did it last year is because a scientist in Poland said that we should host a world carnivorous plant day. (laughs) And then we said, yeah, that's a great idea. So, um, And we are an international group. So in the people in the Northern Hemisphere, May is when a lot of the common species are waking up and coming out of dormancy. So that's why we picked May. And we didn't want to compete with World Naked Gardening Day, which is like the first Saturday (laughs) of May. So we, we picked a weekday. We also picked a weekday because we want kids to be involved and teachers to be involved. So for this year on World Carnivorous Plant Day, I will be publishing a video on the International Carnivorous Plant Society's YouTube channel and Facebook page, one video every hour on the hour starting at midnight. And we've asked experts, scientists, gardeners, growers, nurserymen from all over the world, and they've created 10 to 20 minute videos. Some of them are about growing but others are about conservation or new species being discovered so around midnight my time i'll start releasing the philippine and japanese and the australian videos which is eight o'clock you know in the morning their time and then we just kind of work around the world and then at the end of the day we'll have 24 videos with lots of different content the last video of the day is our annual photo contest, which I've been doing for three or four years now. And anyone can submit five videos, or not videos, photos. The, the only uh, stipulation is that you have to be following the Facebook page or the YouTube, or the Facebook page or the Instagram page. And then the winners, there's three categories. The winners of each category receives a one-year membership to the international carnivorous plant society oh that's exciting and the judges for the photo contest this year are the three winners from last year
0: oh okay cool that's cool um yeah i i will see what i've got in my uh photos and maybe submit something and and definitely share about that that's cool and uh yeah the deadline is april 22nd okay perfect
1: Another aspect of me being on, being on the board serving as the education director is that last year we started doing carnivores in the classroom grant. So every August we invite teachers to submit a very simple application and we are funding 24 teachers every year um, for funds to add carnivorous plants into their classroom. And oh, this that's... is for public and private school teachers, K through 12. Interesting. And um, is, it, is it
0: worldwide as well?
1: Yes. My, the initial idea was that we would do four or five teachers from each continent, but we were having trouble getting enough people from some continents. So we were able to fund almost everybody who applied last year. Okay, perfect, perfect.
0: Well, I just want to take a moment. Do you want to—is your business still going strong? If You want to highlight that a little bit, and if you have any other, you know, upcoming, you know, your, when is the book being debuted, and any speaking that you may be doing in regards to the the book release? Sure. So the book is going to be released July fifteenth,
1: and I know for the show notes that you're going to write up, you'll have a thirty percent coupon mm-hmm. if you pre order it in the next six weeks or so. And then you'll probably get it delivered to your house around June. So I'm excited for the book. And I'm doing my carnivorous plant uh, nursery full time. If you're in central Florida, so like from Gainesville down to Sarasota, from St. Petersburg all the way to the East Coast in Orlando, I'm at a lot of different plant shows every weekend. And seasonally, I offer carnivorous plants on my website. Okay. But right now, because it's spring and plant sales and shows are so bustling in person, I don't <laughs> I, I don't have plants on my website right now. Okay, okay, because I'm focusing on the people that are coming in person. All right,
0: perfect. Uh, well, do you have any final thoughts on you know carnivorous plants, and then you know where can people find uh, your work online, your social media accounts, and and all of that good stuff?
1: Yeah, my website is kennycoogan.com. My social media on Facebook and Instagram is Critter Companions by Kenny Coogan, and I am a lifelong vegetarian, but for some reason these carnivorous plants they just speak to me and I'm (laughs) so intrigued by them and I, you know, in addition to being, in addition to them being carnivorous they're just beautiful.
0: Thank you, Kenny, for reaching out and telling me about your book and wanting to be on the podcast. And, you know, I learned a lot reading your book. You know, I knew some cursory information about uh, carnivorous plants, but it definitely goes into a lot more detail. And, you know, I'm still going to be poring over it and reading through it uh, for the years to come for sure. So, Thank you so much, Misty. That's it for my conversation with Kenny. I hope you learned something about carnivorous plants. And if you didn't get an interest in cultivating them yourself, Maybe you'll be enticed to go out and see some wherever they may be growing where you live, or perhaps to visit some of the regions in Florida where they grow and to see some of the species that Kenny has showcased. You can find the show notes for the podcast at thegardenpathpodcast.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast newsletter to stay in touch with podcast updates. Thanks for listening, and happy gardening!